0: It's that time again. That late night tape grinding, coffee slurping, combine heroes, rampant rumors, comment section shouting, he'll never be there. Pro day, jet set, (laughs) pick packaging, sleeper hunting, madhouse report writing, sprint to the finish. We all know as draft season. Let's get it on. Welcome
1: once again to the Bootleg Football Podcast. We are back in action after I was out, I don't know, eight or nine days with the flu, um, literally the day after the Super Bowl until basically yesterday. We were recording this on a Tuesday, I think. Uh, so yeah, straight up like an entire week I was out with the flu. And uh, you know, maybe that was my body telling me after like the six or seven month grind of the NFL season to... Uh, Take a seat for a little bit and oh, rest off. and recover. Yeah, it was it was a long, 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 long season. Um, punctuated by a lot of travel towards the end there. I think I was actually home with my wife for like three days out of three and a half weeks between Vegas for Shrine Bowl and Super Bowl and all that. It was uh yeah, it was a grind. But we're through it. We're through it, and we took our week to recover, and it's draft season now, so we get to talk about uh the fun stuff which is every single franchise in the NFL having hope again. This is like the little slice of the calendar year where everybody has hope and everybody has, uh, you know, something to look forward to, which is new players getting added to the roster. Uh, We have a lot coming up in draft season. We have a lot coming up on today's show specifically, which is uh, really kind of an introduction to the 2023 NFL draft, you know, talking about the strengths of the class, the weaknesses of the class, because this is, Definitely not perfect class, but I also think that it has some strengths that maybe people, um, you know, haven't haven't acknowledged as much as they should. And so our goal today is to kind of introduce you to if you need a specific position, can you or can you not find it in this year's draft? But before we get to all that, EJ, buddy, how was your week off?
0: Uh, I didn't have a week off. Um, I just left you alone so you could heal. I. <laughs> hit the bricks when I got home in terms of draft season. Um, We had a great intro primer at Shrine Bowl, talked to a lot of great players there, did the tape work specifically on players that were headed there or to the Senior Bowl because both those events happened sort of in tandem. And then you come home and you have the rest of the class plus all of the work to do. To get organized. So the way I do this is basically about 10 days after the draft ends, I start next year's roster and that gets added in little dribs and drabs to about four different places for about seven or eight months. And then you get to the point where you're like, now I got to get my got to get my crap together. Got to do it. Got to put it all in one place. Got to hone it down got to send it off. Now I do that to get edited by people that know more than I do about people that are returning and transfer portals and, and all that. And is this guy in there and check this and check that. So I did all that work, got my database all cleaned up. And then I start my top 120, 125 ish familiarization tour. And that's a quick run through tape, highlights, uh, notes I have, and making sure I've got guys kind of in the right slot. And so I've been doing all that. I'm not quite through that, but I, I I, got quiet on social media and I just like fired up the TV, fired up the computer, fired up the laptop all at once. And that's what I've been doing. So today is kind of a celebration because we get to start talking about all that. And I have something special uh seven seas brewing right down in tacoma did a limited release of a beer i really like a Ooh. black ipa um and i happened to find it at the store the other day and i was like this is perfect for the kickoff this is great so i'm gonna crack this puppy open have a beer and do what we found at this podcast to do which is have a drink talk about football and uh, enjoy each other's company I mean, I'm having my first drink
1: uh, since Super Bowl Sunday because I was on a hefty amount of Tylenol <laughs> for like a week straight. So I got Al uh, Balcones Lineage, uh, one of my, honestly, one of my favorite whiskeys. And I have done a lot of damage to this bottle over the last couple months. Uh, it's a Texas single malt. Um, it's like an American single malt, but from Texas, which think of it basically the same process and family of scotch, but Texasified. And it's, just delicious it's wonderful so uh balconas, hopefully we see you when we go back to texas uh next season we were gonna go but we didn't have time to stop by the distillery when we were in dallas well this they're year. they they were not open on the
0: day one. we were near which was a sunday it's not our fault yeah we tried. Yeah, we tried. texas but i texas. had a balcones this week i when i went to the liquor store they had a single shot of the texas pot still balcones Ooh. that i picked up and it was legit delicious great stuff
1: So now that we have our drinks, uh, what we're doing on today's show to kind of introduce you to what this draft class has to offer is three truths and a lie. And EJ wrote this up um, in the sense that we have three truths about this draft class and a lie about this draft class. And we're going to kind of go through one by one and explain what we mean. Truth number one, EJ, I'll give you the lead on this, but it is uh, some position groups are actually contrary to popular belief, incredibly strong in this draft.
0: Yeah, there are groups every year that are stronger than others. Um, And this is one of the great and fascinating things about the draft. One of the reasons I deeply, deeply love this process is that every year is different and you only have the picks you have in that year. You can't really pass them on or say, ah, I don't want that. I'll take it next year. You have to choose the players in the year that you're choosing and there are strengths and weaknesses. It might line up perfectly with your team's needs or it might be very counter to what you need. And both of those things influence the strategy. This year's class is no different. It has some ridiculously strong pools of talent. And we're going to talk to you about where those lie. The first two I want to talk about are running back and cornerback. These Mm -hmm. are scary deep groups for both. And with running back, certainly... You'll hear about the top talent. You'll hear about Bijan and other guys who are incredibly talented. You're going to get into the third, fourth, fifth round, still be picking players who could start in the NFL. It is a really rough year to be a free agent. Um, I look at guys like David Montgomery, who is a very talented back. I would be happy to have him back in Chicago. It's somewhat unlikely that that will happen, not because Chicago doesn't like him, but because Chicago and Ryan Poles can sit around and go – Man, I could pick somebody in the fourth or fifth and they're probably going to have very similar production because there are so many players at both running back and cornerback is the same way. Any flavor you want, any size, any ability, press, zone, big guy, short guy, slot, nickel. There are players upon players. Same thing. You're going to be picking guys who have significant roles out of this draft well into the third and fourth rounds there is talent 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 at those two spots and it's not the only spots
1: specifically at corner you know a lot of the bigger names that you're you're going to expect to see go pretty high um christian gonzalez from oregon is a phenomenal cover corner he's getting buzz you know even as high as like new england at like 14 because boy they love their man cover corners uh cam smith from south carolina uh, Devon Witherspoon from Illinois is is one of my personal favorites because he could play corner or safety at an elite level and especially safety. I think he would be just outrageously good <laughs> at that spot. Um, Joey Porter Jr. is uh, the kid out of Penn State, obviously the son of former player Joey Porter. He's exceptionally long as a corner. He's got about 34 to a half inch arms. Uh, Keely Ringo from Georgia, Clark Phillips from Utah. Um, Manuel Forbes from uh, Mississippi State seems like Mississippi State always has a DB that's coming out. Um, you know Tyree Stevenson from Miami is somebody I love. Uh, Ketrall Clark, who's you know kind of inside outside versatility, you and I both love him as well. Like it, it goes on and on and on in terms of the corner depth this year, and then obviously running back, you got Bijan, you got Gibbs, you got uh, Sean Tucker. Um, you know even down to Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. You know everybody's favorite 57 mighty might who's just. Hilarious to watch on tape. I would say one little addition though, because we, you know, we kind of in the rundown have edge as like a oh a tier two position in terms of how strong it is. I would suggest <laughs> that edge is actually one of the tier one positions in this draft class. And you know, last year's edge class got a lot of attention. You know, Trayvon Walker, Hutchinson, um, you know, and Abakiti was somebody we loved. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, I mean, uh, uh, God, I'm blanking on who went to KC, big brick shithouse from Purdue. Uh, Carlos, uh, Yeah. You know, there's a lot of edges in last year's class. This year, I would say, might be even stronger because you have Will Anderson right at the top. You got Tyree Wilson, who's getting a lot of comparisons to Trayvon Walker in terms of tools. Um, you know, BJ Ogilari, who I know you just watched today and you immediately fell in love. Um, uh, I'm a big Lucas Van Ness fan. Uh, Nolan Smith, Will McDonald is an absolute freak. Uh, you know, even going down to some of the guys that we saw at Shrine Bowl. You know, the the day two and uh, and day three edge guys that are you know provide a lot of depth like Jose Ramirez, Caleb Murphy, B.J. Thompson. I mean, technically Yasir Abdullah from Louisville. Always oh, he's, he's kind of like a Kyle Van Noy hybrid type. There's a shitload of good edges in this class. Arguably, even more than last year so if you need corner if you need edge if you need running back you're gonna find more than you could ever hope for in this class
0: yeah I would agree I had edge in that premier tier and I moved it down and then I just finished my again familiarization run through with edge like you said today and I'd move it back up like it's even with all the guys you mentioned, there's guys like Felix Udike Uzama from Kansas State, who is like a freaking lion. It's amazing <laughs> to watch him rush. Andre Carter from Army, who is a freak. I have initially had him. People know that I separate between what I think is a better defensive end and what I think is a better edge. He's six seven. I was like, ah, oh, he's a DE. I watched him. I'm like, nope, he's an edge. Yeah. He's absolutely an edge um you know Derek Hall from Auburn not a name a lot of people are talking about that guy has tools upon tools there's another guy out of the SEC Nolan Smith might be the most efficient player in this class uh he's not necessarily going to wow you with any of the measurables they're not bad again he played edge for Georgia but he just that guy hunts and then when you really start to move into what I call defensive end and then true defensive tackles, there's a lot of those guys too. If you need, you know, let's just say front five help in mm-hmm. this draft, you've got choices. Like you do not necessarily have to pick one of those guys early. And typically you do. Typically it's a premium position. If you don't get your edge in the first round, round and a half, you're not going to get somebody that's going to contribute. Just based on numbers alone, that's not true in this draft.
1: I would also say like the the kind of like undersized you know hybrid uh, you know can he play 5 tech can he be like a 3 technique on passing like there's a bunch of those in this yep. class as well like uh Keon White uh College Cansey um Ade, Ade from Northwestern yep. um Deswan Johnson is like one of my absolute favorites in this class um Moro Ajomo you know is getting a lot of buzz in that type of role like like i i just i can't recall a defensive line class like this one in like and I, I maybe it's because the covid year finally caught up and where it's just all the numbers are getting slammed together into one year um but it's it's pretty ridiculous like i guess in terms of true like nose tackles or like you know guys that you could play at 2i and say go stop the run there's not like as many of those as maybe some years, but it's not like it's bad. I mean, fucking Jalen Carter is in this class who's like no, I mean you've got Jalen Carter. <laughs> Jalen Carter,
0: who might be the best player, period, regardless of position in the draft, yeah. is in that categorization. But Keanu Benton from Wisconsin is oh, I love him. really good. I love him. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got Brian Brees in there, who is a defensive tackle for sure. Carl Brooks fits a little bit more in that sort of tweener group that you were talking about. We talked about Carter, um, Gervon, De- uh, Gervon Dexter from Florida is a really talented guy that played in the middle for them. We haven't even mentioned Siaki Ika, who is mm-hmm. ridiculously quick for his size and powerful. Um, you know, defensive tackle does not lack. We just talked about how good defensive end was and how good edge pure edge was. There are, dudes on dudes if you need front five in this draft you are as a general manager really happy you do not have to pull the trigger quick you do not have to trade up um we didn't even get to freaks like zach harrison who is an absolute monster as a true what i think defensive end um you know there are just you keep watching and you're like damn he's good too damn he's really good damn look at the size of that guy he's he can really move and it just goes on and on it reminds me a lot of
1: um, the 2011 NFL draft, which was the, the Von Miller, Marcel Darius, um, Alden Smith, J.J. Uh, Watt was in that class, Robert Quinn, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, Cam Jordan, <laughs> uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, remember him? Cam Hayward? Uh, I think Justin Houston was in that class as well. Like that That's the type of class we're talking about here, where there's you know the obvious stars at the top. But just the sheer depth is is almost overwhelming. Um, now, the tier two strong positions, not to like belittle it or anything like that, but in terms of positions that are also very strong, but not quite like ridiculously historically strong, uh, tight end and interior offensive line, not tackle. We're talking about the interior offensive line. A lot of really, really, really good players in those groups as well. Um Tight end, you know the headliners: uh, Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, Darnell Washington. You know they're they're going to grab a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the press. But I mean, Luke Musgrave is a favorite of mine. He's going to go somewhere on day two. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker from Michigan, uh, Latou from Alabama, Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State is just this giant, you know, rumbling, bumbling <laughs> uh, jack that we at least. You know, I first saw him when I was watching Pierre Strong, and I was like, ooh, okay, File that one away. And now it's his year to come out, and he's really, really fun. Um, Even going down to North Dakota State, uh, Noah Gindorf, who's just this 6'6", 275-pound moose who, you know, got hurt early in the year, and so he he couldn't participate for the rest of the year, and he couldn't participate in any bowl games and and Shrine Bowl and anything like that. But, like, he is gigantic. He is strong. He is fast. And you're going to get him somewhere on day three – as just this huge Y tight end out of freaking nowhere and fans are going to love him. So that's the type of tight end class. This is that you're going to get that kind of prospect as like the 12th tight end off the board.
0: Yeah. And folks that are looking at the top of the board as they well should be because there is really quality talent. You name most of it. Um, You know, if you don't get a Dalton Kincaid relax, you know, you might get Davis Allen two to three (laughs) rounds later and Pretty similar in a lot of ways in a lot of the strength areas. So, again guys on guys, different levels, different roles, uh better than last year when you're looking at like last year guys like, you know, Isaiah Likely was was really good and we knew he was going to be good in a role. He had a good role for the Ravens. His teammate Charlie Kohler, well, you look at a guy like Charlie Kohler versus a guy like Davis Allen, I'll take Davis Allen. He's more dynamic, right? And they're going to go probably in a similar range. So Very strong tight end class, a lot of players. Again, we've kind of been waiting for one of these classes where there were a lot of really good options down the board and teams needing one can, can wait and pick a good one. This is that year. You talked about interior offensive line, the centers and guards, again, some Really top end stars, the John Michael Schmitz of the world, uh, who are some of the most, some of the safest players in this draft. Uh, GMs love interior offensive linemen in terms of mm-hmm. taking them up high. The bust rate's really low. Um, you just know that you're going to plug that guy in. He's going to play anywhere between seven and 10 years and be really, really good. Um, but then a lot of that mid round talent, we talk about guards, the sweet spot being sort of third to fifth round, lots and lots of guys. We've got interviews with guys from Shrine Bowl who we love in that range coming out. And then another one that sort of snuck up, we talked a little bit about defensive tackle, but inside linebacker talked about all the flashy guys, the outside guys inside linebacker is crazy. Good. Like nobody's talking about how good inside linebacker is. And it's not one guy or a couple of guys or three guys. Like I'm eight nine guys deep into this class and like seven of them are like yeah give me him like he's great because unlike some other
1: previous classes there's no guy at like the very very top who's just obvious right you know like when Tremaine Edmonds was coming out everybody's like oh that kid's 19 and 6'4 and 250 and cover slot receivers like yeah sure fine sign me up for that there's there's no that type of prospect but it doesn't mean that there's not a bunch of really, really, really good ones, right? Like the one that, that you and I went back and forth on, um, Dayon Henley from Washington State is now picking up some buzz uh, this week. And I think once the combine happens, he's just going to take off like a rocket ship because he's going to be 230 pounds and running 4-4 and just absolutely crushing all the drills and looking like a, a wide receiver in the movement drills. Like there are still really Really, really good linebackers in this class. There's just not the one that's like obvious headline grabbing, you know, mega talent that we're used to.
0: And I'm going to say yet, because there's a couple of guys in this class that have that potential. And we're going to see some of that as the combine buzz starts. DeMarvian Overshone, who we saw in Texas live against UTEP, is freakish in, in every possible measurable he is tall he's he long he could play safety <laughs> yeah he could he really good he he has those sort of Isaiah Simmons vibes to him um but another guy that very few people are talking about but that's going to change very quickly after the combine is Drew Sanders out of Arkansas um, mm-hmm. by way of Alabama Alabama played him as an edge Arkansas moved him to the middle and he blossomed he is an absolute game-wrecking player he's on borderline round one for me. Like I don't think he's going to get picked there because of his positional value in terms of inside linebacker and how the league raised him. But in terms of talent and what he's shown on tape and what he's going to do at the combine, when people get a look at his tape and go deeper and say, man, he did that against the sec. As soon as he sort of found his position, got his home, like that's a name you're going to hear a lot. And he's not alone. We didn't even mention the younger Sewell brother. Uh, who is a very good player out of Oregon. It is a very, very solid inside linebacking class. It's going to be overshadowed by all the flash of the edge class, rightfully so. There are a ton of great players there, but don't sleep. If your team needs some inside linebacking help, this is a very good draft to be picking. I'm
1: not 100% sure if he's even going to be there, but True Sanders to Philly is something I kind of have my eye on, (laughs) depending on how they approach linebacker and free agency, because I'm pretty sure uh, because your White's, a free agent uh actually i think two of their linebackers are free agents um and so if you know if we want to if we want to just inject some free talent into the front seven just because especially one that can rush the passer or play off ball linebacker um he's somebody i'm just i have my eye on to philly i mean philly's one of those teams where you could kind of mock anybody and it makes sense because they're so good that they don't like have any yeah. obvious needs yeah. but um it'd be a fun fit it'd be a, a super fun fit now, in terms of the other uh, position of strength that, you know, maybe it's, it's just getting bad mouthed a little bit too much for my liking. And not that I'm obscenely high on it, but I do think that wide receiver has the wrong reputation. There is not the absolute game breaker at the top that some recent classes have had, right? You know, the Jamar Chase or the insert any year where there's been a crazy Alabama talent coming out. Like, you know, there's no C.D. Lamb. There's not that in this class. But there is still exceptional depth. And I think this is the year of finding your slot, finding your number two, finding, you know, your your third down guy, finding your glue guy. There's a whole bunch of those in this class, even if you're not going to find the obvious number one. And to be honest, there might only be one obvious number one in this class, and that's maybe Zay Flowers. And that's a maybe. But even Zay, who I love, and I think he's the best receiver in this class, he's still not Jamar Chase. You know, he's not the prospect CD was. Like, there's still a, a difference there. But at the same time, going through all the receivers, like Jordan Addison is a top tier slot prospect, Jackson Smith, the Jigba is just the reincarnation of Jarvis Landry. And that's perfectly fine. Jarvis Landry is a very productive player. Um, Josh Downs is, I mean, every single year, it feels like there's a North Carolina receiver we fall in love with. He's just the next one. Um, doesn't He doesn't have the physical stature of like a typical ball winner outside, but he absolutely is. His contested catch rate is like 70%. He catches everything. Great route runner, speed, all that kind of stuff. He's like the ideal number two. Um, we mentioned Zay Flowers, but um, there's also guys like uh, A.T. Perry, you know, third and A.T. He's a really good route runner, um, big body, does yoga every day, and it really shows on tape. He's very, very bendy and flexible for a big guy. Um, Xavier Hutchinson from Iowa State is really, really good. Demario Douglas from Liberty. Pretty much nobody's talking about him, but he's uh, he's a really fantastic slot option. Michael Wilson from Stanford has been getting some hype as like your classic you know, go win on third down against man coverage number two. There's just a really, really good amount of depth in this class of contributors. Not stars, but contributors. And those contributors to me are how you build a championship roster because not everybody could be a star. Not everybody can be a first-round pick. But as long as your fourth receiver and your fifth receiver on the team you can still give snaps to and feel good about it, that's where you find these types of guys, the guys that are going to be backups on your team, but backups that won't completely shit themselves once they get on the field. That is what you find in this receiver class, and there's a lot of them to pick from.
0: Yeah, again, you're going to have options down in the third, fourth, fifth round if you're looking for role type players. Guys that you know are going to go at the top, Jalen Hyatt's going to go extremely high because he's a scary player. We're going to talk more about him. But he's a guy that scares defenses. And as an offensive coordinator, you want a lot of guys that scare defenses. Um, Quentin Johnston from TCU is is arguably one of those alphas, right? Some teams will see him as one. Some teams won't. Uh, but again, a scary player who can win a lot of balls on the outside. And if you don't have a number one, Quentin Johnston sure looks like a guy you could try for. Um, are there a lot of those guys? Mm. No. No. There's not. Are there a lot of other guys who have very solid pieces to their game, whether it's elusiveness, route running, hands? Uh, I just watched Parker Washington last night from Penn State. He's. If you're not talking about him as having the best hands in this draft, you probably need to have a different conversation. He at least needs to be in the conversation. He has great, great hands. Are there other things about his game that I'm not as wild about? Yeah, but that guy will catch everything and anything, no matter where you throw it. So... You need guys like that. There are guys in this class with return versatility, a lot of them. Um, and those, again, we talk about building rooms, building stables, building you know multivariate skill sets throughout your team. This is a great draft to do that for a wide receiver. It's not necessarily a great draft. If you are locked down, we need our number one alpha, and you're not picking somewhere near the top two-thirds of the top round.
1: Now, truth number two. In three truths and a lie, is if you need a franchise offensive tackle, you better pick one early, because pickings are relatively slim compared to some past years. Um, this is not the the 2020 class where we had Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills and Mackay Beckton and Tristan Wirfs all at the top, and even all those guys haven't quite worked out to what we thought they would be. Obviously, you know Wirfs is is awesome, and Wills, I think they're totally happy with that pick and Andrew Thomas started out rocky ended up being awesome Um, and Mikai Becton just hasn't been able to stay healthy but even with that class where there was like four you know guaranteed guys in the top 15 not even all of them have worked out like we thought and this year's class is way thinner than that so how many offensive tackles in the first round this year do we think are actually going to work out maybe two you know like if we're if we're hoping and if we're lucky maybe two of them are so you you better take it early because if you
0: don't you might get left out in the cold here their their value is going to be elevated because of the short supply the nfl's need for bookend tackles doesn't really matter left or right is insatiable there are always teams that need starters and there are always teams that need sort of high-end replacements There are a few good players in this class that fit in that category, and there are a lot of really good players who, again, are going to fit in those middle rounds as your swing guy, your developmental guy, guy you can put on the practice squad for a little bit, bulk up, and maybe he becomes a five, six-year starter for you. There are a lot of those guys, but in terms of like, we got a whole left tackle, we don't want to pay free agency prices, we got to go get one you better move up a couple of spots because somebody else needs that too. And they're going to pip you for one of two or three guys. Darnell Wright is getting first round buzz out of Tennessee, rightfully so. Dwan Jones from Ohio State turned a lot of heads at the senior bowl because he's just massive and tackles like that can play with a frame like that. You can work with it. But again, is he a you know surefire top end round one tackle? Uh, I don't think you'd find a lot of people like that. And even the sort of preseason consensus top tackle in this class Peter Skoronski from Northwestern a lot of people are saying he might be a guard I tend to think he might go kind of like his former teammate Rashawn Slater and say nah I can show you I can play tackle I think it's either way honestly like yeah he's yeah. one of the most technically refined players in this class but it's like those three guys and then what maybe Broderick Jones from Georgia depending and that's that's it. <laughs> Par- Paris right.
1: Johnson from Ohio State has a lot of fans, but yeah. again, we're we're talking about maybes here. Yeah. It, it's all it's all maybes. So I'd agree with that, that if you're going to take one, just take the one you love early because you're probably not going to get any in like the middle of the second round. They're all going to be gone. Um, and I, I will say the worst thing to happen in this draft class is when uh, Olu Fashanu from Penn State went back for 2023 because... That was the guy. (laughs) That was the one everybody's like, oh, top 10 pick. Oh, shit. He's not coming out. What are we going to do? Like, he was it.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about that with another position group coming up here. And and again, the sort of preconceived notions before the season about, oh, this is going to be a strong class or, oh, there's going to be all these options. And then. It's a new world with the transfer portal, with NIL, with guys going back, like with injury. All those things happen and you end up with these classes where I think last year people were like, it's going to be a pretty decent tackle class. And now people are like, oh boy, if you need a tackle, you better better either have commitment about a guy you can develop or you better go get one early.
1: Well, we can't all be like Green Bay and get Zach Tom in the fourth round. So (laughs) it still pisses me off that that happened. Still pisses (laughs) me off. Uh, Truth number three, there is an unbalanced level of control in the first round of the draft. I would love for you to expand on that to explain what you mean by unbalanced level of control.
0: Yeah, it has become a little bit in vogue to say, I will take the bird in the hand. I will take the sure thing. Um, So I will trade my first round pick for an established NFL veteran. And teams like the Rams have done pretty well with that. They won a Super Bowl doing it. Um, As such, five teams don't have first round picks, won't be picking at all in the first round. Rams, Broncos, Browns, Dolphins and 49ers have all chosen to use that pick for some other leverage, whether it was moving up for quarterback, trading for an existing star, whatever. They don't have their pick. And as such, four teams have two. Picks in this first round and these are some pretty interesting names because of the way they did this year the texans have two and 12 the lions have six and 18 the seahawks have five and 20 and the eagles have 10 and 30 mm-hmm. um you look at all those teams and you start to think, hey, it sort of was the Rams model. We're going to take the sure thing and we're going to go all in. And then you look at the teams that have two this year, and it's all teams that went young, traded away an established player, picked up extra picks, had good draft classes last year. As a result, all those teams were certainly in our top 10 drafts and they have two picks this year so it starts to lean a little bit in their favor especially if you're a team like the eagles again if you're not thinking that howie roseman is gm of the year the fact that his team went to the freaking super bowl they are as loaded as they are and they have two first round picks coming up Whew. so we have the haves and the have nots and it's two different sort of team building ethoses and we're going to get to watch it play out uh even further when the draft comes around in late april
1: the key i would say because you know you look at you know a couple of those teams didn't make the playoffs the texans and the lions even though the lions got close and if they just didn't fumble the bag a little bit early in the year and like won a couple extra of those very winnable games they would have made the playoffs um you know, but the Seahawks and the Eagles they did make the playoffs and they have the extra draft capital. And the key with that is they nailed the quarterback position in a relatively either unexpected or non traditional way, right? So, like the Seahawks picked up Geno Smith, he was a backup, and then you know, he got on the field when Russ got hurt, and they're like, you know what, this this could work. We just need to give him a little bit more talent, but we have no way to get talent unless we trade away Russ. So they traded away Russ, nailed the draft, and all of a sudden Geno Smith, who had flashed in his limited time um, when Russ was injured the year before, all of a sudden had young book in tackles and the receiving core was good. And what do you know? We go to the playoffs and Geno's comeback player of the year and everything works out. Meanwhile, the Eagles, they took Jalen Hurts in the second round a few years ago, just on pure value. You know, he was a first round. Well, in my view, he was a first round talent. I mocked him in the first round. It's one of the only good quarterback takes I've ever had in my life, but I did. <laughs> and they just picked up Jalen Hurts on a value. Cause they're like, well, if he's there, we're going to take him. We're going to figure it out. Right. Cause why are we going to say no to a good player? Wentz completely goes off the deep end. And then they have this young kid who's super talented, and they develop him, and, and he becomes a top 10 quarterback, better than top 10, top six or seven quarterback, and and they only spent a second-round pick on it. So the fact that they nailed the quarterback without putting in a whole bunch of resources, those two teams, is what allowed them to be in this position. So the moral of the story is, for the other two teams, you know, does Jared Goff continue with this trajectory with Detroit where you know they nail the quarterback position trading away Stafford getting Goff back everybody at the time was like ah that's that's not an even trade well if Goff keeps playing like this it kind of is right and you get the extra pick and Goff is playing well so that's kind of the key to this is making sure that Goff is is pulling his his weight here and the Texans their key is getting value back at the quarterback position by, you know, using the second overall pick, getting somebody, and then taking pick 12 and, you know, helping that quarterback develop, whether it's with protection or receiver, whoever, just using that 12th pick on an asset to help the young quarterback grow. If they, if those two non-playoff teams can nail the quarterback spot like the two playoff teams did, then all of a sudden the model's kind of flipped on its head, Right where all of a sudden you want to collect assets in order to surround a quarterback with talent rather than trading those assets away for established veterans and going on like a one year, you know, all in for the ring type thing. Um, It is kind of a fascinating discussion because I think it goes back and forth in the NFL. It worked for the Rams, it worked for the bucks and everybody's like, that's the new way to do it. You know, you, you you trade away assets, you get veterans, you go all in for the ring, you win the ring. and, And when it all blows up in your face, Who cares? You could sleep better at night because you got your trophy. Well, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, came very close to getting a trophy, and they have the future secured. The Seahawks went to the playoffs, are only a couple pieces away, and have their future secured. The Lions, honestly, are one of the most exciting teams in the entire NFC going into next year, and everybody thinks they're going to win the division, and their future's secured. And the Texans who executed that trade with the Browns, honestly, they're in a better spot for the future than the Browns are right now because they're not paying a quarterback a quarter billion dollars to not play well. So I think the pendulum has kind of swung back the other way a little bit. And all of a sudden, the the, the trading assets away crowd is is giving ground to the, the trading for assets crowd. And I'd be really, really excited to see where it goes over the next 18 months or so.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating focal point of those two really differing sort of pole positions, ways you get to be good in the NFL and how quickly it changes and how many people bagged on the approach of the Texans, of the Lions, of the Seahawks, not necessarily of the Eagles. A lot of people, including us, were very high on what the Eagles were doing, but Howie Roseman's a wizard, so that's different. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, a lot of people were down on the Seahawks. Nobody thought they were going to make the playoffs. and Nobody thought they were just going to take their medicine year and then go get a quarterback and then get good. Well, they kind of did it in the reverse order um, on the strength of great drafts. So, again, the draft becomes a focal point for, hey, what's the reigning team development meta and what works for people? And, again, like you said, which elements do we have to nail – to make that work, and some teams will, and some teams won't, and then there will be a fascinating third option of somebody that sort of goes down the middle, with a you know maybe a retread, maybe somebody brings in you know Carr and says, hey, we're gonna do a little bit of little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, and they win it. Uh, so it's a it's just a never ending shift in the league that's really cool to track. If the Jets do win a Super Bowl, again.
1: I have no idea if, if Carr is going to sign with the Jets at the time we're recording this. If the Jets win a Super Bowl with Carr, it's not that I'll be stunned, but I will be surprised. Sure. Right? And, and it's nothing against Derek Carr. He's a good quarterback. <laughs> but I will be a little bit surprised. It's that the Jets won the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's more so that all of a sudden, like that model worked, right? Yep. Like of the, hey, let's go pay a lot of money for a veteran quarterback who isn't Tom Brady. Yeah. And all of a sudden we it's it, that would be one of the the only times that I think that gamble, which we have seen so many times over the last like ten to twelve years, right? Of like a solid upper, middle, like lower, upper tier quarterback that switches teams because his old team is just like, we can't get Meh. over the hump with him. We're gonna jettison yeah. him. And then all of a sudden he goes somewhere else and wings are, like The Vikings have been trying that with Kirk Cousins for how many years now? If it works with the Jets, more power to them. God bless them. But
0: there's a lot of teams that have tried that and not not worked out. And what they didn't have was, again, the strength of two very strong Joe Douglas drafts to basically plug that quarterback into and say, you've got protection, you've got weapons, you've got a crazy effective defense. Like You just need to be the guy that, does your job you're 111th you don't have to be that quarterback that really sort of takes the team on your back and elevates them you just have to be good enough to use all this talent we've assembled and a lot of teams can't say that or you could pay 45 million dollars a year for daniel jones oh
1: god there's there's no way
0: (laughs) there's no way well i i will say this that it's something that daniel jones and i have in common Wanting forty five million dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, I too want forty five million dollars a year. He has a somewhat better chance of getting it, but not a good one. I have zero chance of getting it, but that's okay. We both want it.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's there's zero chance they give him forty five million. Like I, I would eat a shoe if they pay him forty five million dollars a year. It's just it's not going to happen. Um, speaking of quarterback, by the way, that's probably the best segue we're ever going to get for the one lie of three truths and a lie. And that lie is, this is a great year for quarterback. Expand on that.
0: Yeah, great is the key here. There are good players at quarterback in this year's draft. There may even be players that eventually become great through a development cycle similar to some other players that we've seen, or at least one other player that we've seen in the league. But there are not a stack of sure thing quarterback prospects at the top, and when you listen to decision makers around the league and you talk to them, it becomes readily apparent pretty quickly that eh, there is no consensus, no one is absolutely set, there's no Andrew Luck in this class that everybody's like, oh man, I wish I had a pick, I'd go get him. There is no Trevor Lawrence in this class that is, you know, people have been talking about him for three years and now he's finally here and yep, he is as advertised and yep, he's worth that top pick. There are good quarterbacks in this class and there may be quarterbacks in this class that end up becoming top 10 talents in the NFL, but there is a space between here and there, between A and B. And a lot of that annual, (laughs) Trope that we hate, which is oh, but just wait for next year's quarterback class. Kick it down the road. There's all these quarterbacks are going to be available. That started. That narrative started before a lot of very good players decided to return to school for different reasons. You've got Spencer Rattler going back to South Carolina. Phil Jerkovic got hurt again. Michael Penix, regardless of what you think of him after his breakout year, Washington decided to go back for like a ninth year of eligibility. And the list goes on and on. There are others. So there's five or six or seven good quarterbacks that people were projecting to be in this class. And quite frankly, if they're still here, if they're in this pool of selectable prospects, people have a very different opinion. Are any of them Andrew Luck type prospects? No, but there's a lot more to choose from and teams love flavors when it comes to quarterback. Everybody wants something different. And if you have that entire menu to choose from, It's a lot more palatable. As it is, this class has been trimmed down. There are two, maybe three top talents. There are three or four mid-level talents that people think can ascend, have that potential, but they are riskier bets, and GMs dislike risk, typically, because if they're wrong, they get fired. Yeah. And that means there's no can't-miss quarterback prospect at the top. That shakes up the entire power structure of this draft and again we go back to that word great this is not a great year if you need a quarterback can you get a quarterback this year that will serve your needs yeah you certainly can there's some very quality players here that have some really good strengths and some players that have incredible potential is there a sure thing at the top that you as a gm can feel good about and sleep well after picking in the top five if there is, you have more commitment than we do um, about this quarterback class. So this is not a knock on the guys that exist in the quarterback class. This is a, it is not the classic, sure thing, lockdown, can't miss type year for quarterback.
1: In regards to the, you know, the the wait till next year comments, um to me, it's it's not a question of depth, you know, the the seven guys or whatever that that went back that could have come out to me. It's about <laughs> the sentence. Isn't wait till next year's class. The sentence is wait till next year's class. When Caleb William comes out or Drake may <laughs> or Drake as, may yeah. Like the one B right. There's a lot of franchises in the NFL, even if they're not admitting it, they're doing math. They're doing math because they're trying to figure out. Can we get up there? Can we do Can it? We hold out one more year without getting fired. Can we, can we get Caleb? Because Caleb is the Trevor Lawrence level prospect. He right. is the Andrew Luck level prospect of like the oh my god, I will do anything and everything to get this kid. I will I will give up 3 drafts for Caleb Williams. Like if there's there is no amount of capital that teams will not pay to get him. Mm-hmm. He's the fucking dude. <laughs> like straight up. That's yep. the evaluation. The fucking dude. He's one of the only guys that I am comfortable comping to Patrick Mahomes. The only other one I've ever done it for, you know, since Mahomes became Mahomes. There's only other one prospect I've done that, and that's Joe Burrow, where I said he plays like Mahomes. Not the same arm talent, but in terms of play style, like, they were pretty comparable, and then Joe Burrow became a top-two quarterback in the league, right? Caleb Williams, other than Joe Burrow, is the only other quarterback prospect where I'm like... God, that looks pretty close, right? it's it's special, it's rare. It's something that teams will give up their house for. And so, looking at this year's quarterback class, you know, if the Colts take Will Levis at four and then they suck next year, they they have no qualms about <laughs> going after Caleb Williams and and doing a one-year switch route. Like it's not the same. It's it's yeah. not even the same stratosphere. And so I think that there are going to be some teams that take swings on guys early, but I think that the appetite for giving up future picks to come up in this class is not going to be what people think it is because there's a lot of franchises doing math on Caleb Williams and on Drake May. And if if a GM gave up a whole bunch of picks to move up this year for, say say Anthony Richardson, right? Supremely gifted talent, um, but there's a lot of maybes there. And then all of a sudden they have a really bad year and they're in striking distance to potentially maybe go get Caleb Williams, but they don't have their first round pick and they don't have their second round pick and they don't even have a prayer going to get him. Guess what? That's how guys get fired, right? Because you kind of, you took your shot a year early. And so my inkling is that teams might be less aggressive than we think because nobody wants to be the guy who takes themselves out of the running for Caleb Williams or Drake may 12 months before they're even available.
0: Yes. Until they do (laughs) because there's a (laughs) lot of, there's a lot of pressures in the NFL and some of those guys are thinking, if I don't get the dude this year, I don't get a shot at Caleb Williams. It's the next guy. True. So it is. It, it does depend on who it is. Right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna spend that guy's picks because I can. Right. I can take next year's picks away from him and try because if I don't get what I need, I'm not gonna be here anyways. So the bidding war will not be as voracious and it will not be as widespread as it would have been in other years, or it will be whenever Caleb comes out. Because I completely agree with you about him being. In that level of the dude, he is that guy that you can hang your franchise hat on and say, if we have this guy, we have a chance. Rest of the roster should be good, but we still have a chance if we have this guy. Can I ask you a question? Yes. If Caleb was coming out this year?
1: Yes. Not Bears? Bears? Oh, that is a fantastic like, question. Th- this year, no. there's been the whole debate of like, oh, do the Bears trade Justin Fields? Like, fuck it. No, they're not. They're not right. trading Justin Fields for this class.
0: Next year, if, yeah. like that's that's a different that conversation. Is a, that is a fantastic and fascinating question. And the Bears, interestingly enough, because Caleb's not in this draft, could set themselves up for that. Because then if uh-huh. they spend their $100 million in free agency, which is by far the most in the league, and they spend their high number of draft picks that they are presumably, they already have a pick in every round, but if they are going to trade down from one, presumably they're going to get a boatload of picks to do that, even if the demand is not as high as it would be. It's still going to be high. They could hang on to some of those, right? Trade them forward, whatever. Get some from next year. And if with all this new talent, several new linemen on both sides of the ball in free agency in the draft a few new receiving weapons a shiny new running back from the middle rounds because they're good at picking those and then justin doesn't take the next step then you're staring at having somebody else's first round pick as well as your own next year and caleb blooms is sitting there maybe you make that choice if it was this year that is a fascinating question um I've flipped it around when a lot of people have been saying, "Oh, well the Bears are, you know, open to trading Justin Fields." Let me just speak on that for a second. Ryan Poles is doing that because he has to. Yeah. It's a it's what a good GM does. If Ryan Poles had shut the door on that stuff hardcore publicly to the press early, I would have been disappointed. Now, behind closed doors, I very much think Ryan Poles has sat down with Justin and said, Justin, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. I've got to say a lot of stuff. Between you and me, you're the guy. You're not going anywhere. But I need to gauge interest. I need to know what people are willing to give up. Not necessarily for you, because you're not going anywhere. But when it comes to draft day, two, and somebody says, hey, we want your end of the second round pick. And I say, "Mm hmm. Remember, you said your third was available for Justin. Is that pick still available? I need that intel. So I'm going to say, hey, we'll do anything. We'll trade anybody, including Justin. That's what I'm going to say openly to the public. But behind closed doors, I'm saying to Justin, we know you didn't have the support. You did an amazing job for us. You made some highlight plays every week. You almost won us some games you shouldn't have, which would have gotten us out of the number one pick. Glad you throttled back. We're going to give you a bunch of help and see what happens. You're not going to hear me say that. You're going to hear me say all options are on the table. It's what Ryan Poles has to do as a good GM. And I think they will do all those things. But I also think if there's not the significant progress that they want to see in the areas that they want to see, they'll be loaded up for next year and they could take a run at a guy like Caleb Williams. And I would support that at that point. At this point, no, I've flipped that conversation around on their head and said, okay, so you say you're going to trade Justin and you're going to draft a quarterback. If Justin was in this draft, where would he rank? Number one. With a bullet. Easily. Justin Fields would be number one with a bullet in this draft. So what are you going to trade him for? Yeah. Nothing. So I think that's why you're hearing those things. I think that's the reality of what's happening there. And next year it becomes a fascinating argument, and the Bears could well be set up to make a run then too – if they haven't seen what they wanted to see with all the improvements that we expect are coming in the offseason. Best case scenario is they
1: trade down with the Colts. The Colts somehow are complete ass again and pick first, and then the Bears get first pick. And at that point, they would already know what's going on with Justin. Because if Justin's playing well, we just keep this train rolling, and we turn two first-round picks into, like, 11 first-round picks or whatever it is going to be for Caleb Williams. Because if they don't need Caleb Williams and Justin's doing his thing— then they get the largest draft hall ever, probably. Like, it would make the Herschel Walker trade look like nothing, you know, because...
0: Yeah. It, would, it would be somebody's entire fortune. And then yeah. Ryan Pace can just, you know,
1: build the statue outside Soldier Field for all I care. You mean Ryan Pulse? What did
0: I say? Pace. Oh, wrong Ryan. Way I wrong Ryan. <laughs> I, it's the thing is, like, yeah, they just went for the same initials. That's all we did. <laughs>
1: Oh man. Well, that was three truths and a lie. Hopefully it kind of gave you guys, um, a good little primer for this draft class and what it has to offer and what it, what it doesn't have to offer, uh, to be nice about it. It's not the strongest draft class we've ever seen, but it's also a strong draft class. And I think it it gets misrepresented. Um, maybe that's a harsh word. I think it gets misunderstood by a lot of people in the media cuz maybe they haven't dug quite into the depth yet but there are a lot of gems to be had and conveniently we have our 10 gems episodes coming up very soon we uh, our annual 10 gem specials where we kind of go over our 10 favorite players uh both on offense and on defense they're not all necessarily going to be first rounders they're not all you know late round you know diamonds in the rough it's just guys that we really can't live without and you guys love the annual 10 gem specials so Uh, Those will be
0: on their way very, very soon. Yeah, and we've got a lot of other content coming as well. What's next for bootleg throughout draft season? As you know, it's one of our favorite times of year. We're going to have a weekly draft-focused podcast. 10 Gems will be the first couple of those after this, and then we'll continue to roll that on. Those will come out midweek. We're going to try a two-hour live stream every other week. We're not going to hit every other week necessarily in true bootleg fashion, but we know that everybody needs to blow off steam, get in the comments section, ask us questions that we didn't answer on the pod. Hopefully that'll be a mechanism uh, for all that fun stuff to happen. There'll be some updates uh, live from the road, probably some draft specific site visits. We're going to be trying to go to a couple of pro days here and there, and then of course, the full-on bootleg draft live stream three days. We will be in Kansas City. It'll be the first time we're at the location of the draft. So that's going to be a ton of fun. And then we're going to keep rolling all the prospect interviews we got uh, at the Shrine Bowl throughout this process. So you probably see two of those dropping a week as well. Probably going to have content about four days a week during draft season, uh, even on the weeks we're traveling and, and doing other things. So Going to be a very full slate. Um, I've got a bunch of regional radio appearances coming up for the Combine, which is is new news. I'll be guesting on some other podcasts as well. Uh, Brett, I know you're doing the same thing. Um, it's going to be pedal of the metal from now on. Yeah, uh,
1: draft season in many ways is even busier than the regular season for yes, us because yes. we're doing all of our normal shows and watching like 250 prospects, so... Uh, Buckle up, folks. It's it's going to be a good one. But you guys are going to love everything that we got coming. Uh, really can't wait to share it with you all. Uh, first interview, as you know, Chandler Zavala is coming out this week, probably either the day before or the day after this podcast. And then we got uh, Keetra Clark, A.T. Perry. Like, it, there's a lot there's a lot. So uh, if you guys are still here this late in the episode, thank you for that. Make sure to drop a like and a comment and all that good stuff. Help us with the algorithm. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to all of our executive producers as well over on the Patreon tier, Marat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, Taylor, Liam, Connor, Joey, and Mike L. We appreciate all of you guys for helping to make this show possible as well and uh, for being patient while I recovered from my flu uh you guys are you guys are all amazing and we can't wait to talk to you guys very soon um and with that ej why don't we get out of here and uh go start our work on the 10 gem specials
0: and go back to watching film because that's what we (laughs) do in between all this but uh love you guys all very much uh we will see you from various places over the next uh eight to ten weeks as we head towards the draft uh and until then take care later